We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it. You made it to church, and we just want to welcome everybody joining us online in downtown Monterey, Mexico, all of our campuses. We love you. We love you guys, and of course, uh, we're just also excited. We're welcoming a lot of different churches from all over the place uh, for our Pharisectomy sermon series. About 10 years back, I wrote a, I, I wrote a spiritual growth book called Pharisectomy, and of course, in the new year, we're releasing the 10th anniversary edition of the book, but really, the, the whole goal of the book, if I could just summarize it in a nutshell, it's, it's just, I want to help people re- rediscover grace, rediscover the joy uh, of true Christianity. I think over the years, we've all met Christians who uh, are, are life-sucking. You know what I mean? Just come on. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm related to some of them. And no, for real though, I think we've all met Christians who are overly critical, overly spooky, overly political. And, and how many of you guys know you can be theologically right and still be out of sync with God? You can be technically right, but you can be dead right. And I think there's a difference between being like theologically accurate and being in sync with God. That's why the Bible is constantly giving us scriptures like Galatians 5, uh, 5.22, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If we're really in sync with God, there's gonna be kindness flowing out of our lives. You're gonna be peace-loving, uh, James 3.17. You see, I, I think ultimately, you know, a person who's truly in sync with God, they'll never leave you with fear. They'll lead you with faith and peace. Again, it's, they'll give you more patience. You'll feel more kind after hanging out with a true Christian. And if that's true, then why are there so many Christians that just suck the life out of you? And, and, and I'm just saying, we've all met people like that. We've all been people like that at some point or another. And I, I think we, we have to return to the very foundations of Christianity. And I, I think a lot of times, instead of anchoring our, our, our joy in, in God's grace, we derive it from weird forms of Christianity where it's like, you know, political or spooky or overly theological, inferior substitutes for righteousness, okay? And, and there's so many sneaky forms of Christianity out there that are not actually good news. And so it really, the whole... Thesis is helping us to return to the good news and and find out if you and I have contracted a religiously transmitted disease. And they're easy to get. They're easy to catch, okay? So today, I'm I'm actually going to teach you one of the foundations that'll help you avoid a lot of the nonsense, removing the good from the good news. And and, and some of you, by the end of today, you're going to be like, wow, I've never ever seen that before or never really even heard that before uh, and, and because we're going to study a passage of scripture that a lot of people misunderstand, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. And trust me, this can transform your relationships, your marriage, your family, um, really your evangelism, your ability to experience the miraculous. But to do this, we're going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to go back to a, a, a passage that a lot of people, they, they've heard it a million times, but they've never understood it. And I preach on this passage a lot because it took me probably a dozen times before I finally grasped it. 
and really understood what the Bible was saying. In Genesis chapter two, we're gonna read about before mankind fell into sin, and then we're gonna read about after mankind fell into sin. But it's really unique because it, there, you're, there's a bunch of things in this passage you're probably gonna say, I've never noticed that before, and let me read them to you. Genesis two, starting in verse eight. Now the Lord had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God had made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Now, it's kind of interesting. Why is he suddenly talking about trees? Like, what, what is it about trees that's so unique? All kinds of trees that grew out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's like we're introduced to almost like two characters. It's almost like these are, it's like the plot thickens. There are two trees in the middle. Yeah, there's all sorts of trees in the garden, right? He's acknowledging that. But there's two trees that are absolutely important, and you gotta understand what these two trees are the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Da, da, da. Skip down to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And the assumption is one of those trees is the tree of life. But you must not eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Not maybe die, not sometimes die. You will surely die if you eat of this one tree. So you can eat every other tree, you can enjoy every other tree, including the tree of life, but you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, everybody say two trees. It is absolutely critical you understand what these two trees are and how they differ because it, it, it can actually change the way you approach God. Let me jump to the next chapter, okay? So uh, it's talking about the devil. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now this is what the devil does, and you, you can see kind of how he tempted Adam and Eve from the very beginning, because he's still doing this. Did God really say? I want you to doubt what God said, doubt his commands, but specifically his commands about these trees. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from the trees in the garden. Like, of course we can eat from trees. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not touch it or you will die. And then the devil says, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows, and this is so crafty how he deceives her, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And then she's thinking, well, I love God. I, would, I wanna be like God. Don't you wanna be like God? Like, we all wanna be like God. And he's saying, no, you, you, if you eat from it, you're actually gonna be the thing you want to be, like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so now, and of course, what happened? The moment they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's called the fall. Sin entered the world. This is where everything started downhill for us. Now, okay, 
With all that said, let me just give you three concepts that are absolutely critical that a lot of people miss in this passage that we just read, okay? Three concepts, I'm gonna do it kinda quickly, so hold on tight. Now, first idea is this, okay? Concept one, this wasn't a normal tree, well, what was it? It was a knowledge tree. So a lot of times we get so caught up in kind of the Sunday school image of them in the garden that we end up missing the whole point. This was a knowledge tree. So when they were ingesting stuff from this tree, they're ingesting knowledge. What do you eat from a knowledge tree? Well, you, you I suppose a knowledge tree would be worldviews, it would be political ideologies. I mean, what, like you think about like a modern day knowledge tree could be the internet. Uh, a knowledge tree could be the news. A knowledge tree could be, uh, honestly, a university or a college, anything. Anywhere you're ingesting information would be a knowledge tree. Okay, so now I, I, I want to point that out because it's, in, it's, it's absolutely critical you understand knowledge is what led to sin, rape, genocide, torture, war, everything awful, okay? Now some of you are like, wait, so you're saying knowledge is bad? No, knowledge from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is bad. God wanted us to learn from him, but knowledge apart from him leads to death, okay? So now, does that make sense? Okay, so now if it doesn't, don't worry, we're gonna keep going, okay? This was a knowledge tree. The second concept is the serpent appealed to Eve's spirituality. The temptation, this was actually a religious sin that she committed. She wanted to be more like God, and, and, and that's critical because if you think about it, how many of you want to be Christ-like? Wow, none of you. It's really wild. Wow, three of you. Okay, now, yeah, you, you're here. I don't know. I'm just, you know, forcing you to interact with me. Okay, so you want to be Christ-like. I think all of us want to be Christ-like. Think about it. He actually took something, something that seemed good. I want, like, how many of you want to be more generous? Well, hey, if you eat from this tree, you're going to be more generous. Think about it. It'd be, like, it'd be like, that's what the devil's doing. He's appealing to spirituality and righteousness. Because he says in verse 5, you will be like God. I actually believe that the, the, the reason why it's so deceiving, the temptation was, is because Adam and Eve wanted to be more spiritual. They wanted to be closer to God. Their desire to be godly was good, but this tree was not the way to do it. Okay, so the reason why that's so critical is because these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're actually two different approaches to godliness. The goal is the same, godliness, but only one leads you there. The other one leads to death. Okay, so it's so critical that you understand that concept because it's, a, it's, it's actually a, a, a religious goal, okay? So the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is like a church, so to speak, okay? Two different approaches to godliness, two different paths to godliness. And of course, the last concept that I want you to, to grasp out of this is it wasn't just evil knowledge that led to death. It was the tree of the knowledge of good, and evil. Okay, so good knowledge led to death. How can good knowledge, not evil knowledge could lead to death, but how could good knowledge lead to death? It almost seems a little paradoxical, and I, I realize that it might sound strange, but it, it's actually quite profound. Even Bible knowledge apart from the Spirit of God 
can lead to death. We're gonna discover in just a second, okay? Which sounds a little crazy coming from a pulpit, but actually it's, it's all out throughout the Bible, okay? Let me just sum it up one more time. Before sin entered the world, there were two trees that stood in contrast. Tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, these two different trees represent two paths to God, two paths to righteousness, and I'm gonna further unpack it just by giving you two little theological terms if you're a note taker. Have you ever heard the term orthodoxy? If somebody says orthodox, it means that it, it, it conforms to the Bible, okay? So orthodox Christianity means it's Christianity that's actually based on the Bible. There's forms of Christianity that go beyond the Bible, okay? So it's not orthodox, okay? Well, another way to do it, define it, is orthodoxy would be considered correct beliefs. Having good theology is kind of the simple definition. There's a lot of other definitions, but just stick with me for my definitions here. Orthodoxy, now there's another term called orthopraxy. It's correct practice, okay? So it's having good deeds and good fruit. So now they're slightly different. You want both orthodoxy and orthopraxy, okay? Now, let me, how do they differ? Well, let's say you believe in miracles, that God still does miracles, orthodoxy, but do you actually experience them, orthopraxy? Is this a part of your experience, okay? You believe in prayer, that prayer that God commands us to pray, orthodoxy, but do you actually do it, orthopraxy? Does, does joy and peace actually overflow from your life, okay? You believe in health food, but do you eat it? Okay, now you're getting a little too real here. Orthopraxy, does it actually change your life? You see, I think there's actually a lot of things in our lives, in our head knowledge, that is not heart knowledge, that is not actually applied to our life. It is a part of our life, okay? So now the reason why this matters is because, so the, the Apostle Paul essentially said, you want both, which is why he said, 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely, your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is essentially trying to be like God through orthodoxy, but it's not leading to orthopraxy, okay? So it's one divorced from the other. It's good belief divorced from actually good actions, good a good spirit about you. In other words, you, you, you know the Bible, but you're not joyful. You, you have decent theology, but you're not actually patient and kind. You see, really what I'm describing to you is what the Pharisees stumbled upon. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible, and yet it, it, they were still missing the very like moment of the Messiah. How could the Messiah be right in front of them and they missed it? How could they not understand it? What, what was it about their, how did they miss it? Like, again, the Messiah just didn't look the way they expected. Why? Because they were eating from the wrong tree, if I could say it that way, okay? So think of it this way, okay? Even the Bible can be read in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, for example, has anybody ever offended you and you were looking for a Bible verse to set them straight? You were reading the Bible in the wrong spirit. You see, you can read the Bible in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're, you're not actually doing it to uplift people, you're doing it to oppress people. You can preach the scripture in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think if you've ever heard a preacher that oppressed you, made you walk away like, I hate my life, I hate Christians, I hate the church, okay? That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil preaching, okay? There's a big difference between uplifting 
and oppressing. I think we've all felt the difference before. We've just maybe never articulated it. There's a big difference between making a point and making an enemy. How many of you know? We, we hear that every single day in the news. People that are making enemies when they could have made points. And uh, I, I, I think, think about it this way. Okay, so even the Bible could be used in the wrong tree. Like Luke 4, the devil even quoted the scriptures to tempt Jesus. So, so you can actually quote scripture and not do it for good reasons. Because if the devil can do it, then you and I can do that too. The apostle James even said, even demons have good theology, James 2.19. Does that make them Christ-like? No, right? The average run-of-the-mill demon probably has better theology than both you and me, which shows that accurate knowledge of good and evil does not make us life-giving, okay? That's, that's why actually James even took it even further by saying hearing God's word can even be destructive, if we don't put it to practice. In other words, the process of hearing God's word could actually be a terrible thing for a lot of people because it's actually resulting in a process of self-deception, which is exactly what the Pharisees were having. And especially in a big, that was a big deal in the New Testament, right? Jesus even said about the Pharisees, do everything they do, but don't, or do everything, believe everything they believe, but don't do what they do, Matthew 23, three. In other words, they have good theology, but they don't have good orth- orthopraxy. They have good orthodoxy, just not good orthopraxy. Because, like, watch this, okay? Check, check out what, John, what Jesus says in John 5. He accuses, he's accusing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of missing the point. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You're obsessed with the Bible, and yet you miss it. You think that that's how you get it. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In other words, you you have this brilliant appearance of godliness through knowledge, yet no life. You're still trying to attain godliness through the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, rather than the tree of life, which is me. Jesus was saying, I am the tree of life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. In just me, all those strange metaphors Jesus would preach with, he was essentially saying, I am the tree of life, the bread of life, the water of life. You're missing it. You're missing it. And so it begs the question, how do we, that's why Jesus was able to do all sorts of counterintuitive things, like have political opposites in his inner circle, things that were almost unheard of to a tree of knowledge of good and evil, because, you know, they would be like, well, you need to set them all straight, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point. So it begs the question, well, how do we know if we're living in the wrong tree? Because people are still living in the wrong tree. There's all sorts of forms of Christianity that are in the wrong tree. Well, Simplest way, I, I think, to discern the wrong tree are two words, finger pointing. Finger pointing is the chief symptom of we are in the wrong tree. We, are, we have a counterfeit form of Christianity, blaming people for the world's problems or obsessing over other people's sins are the, the chief signs of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and, and why would I say that? We'll just go right back to the Garden of Eden again. That what happened after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing they did after eating from the forbidden tree when God started asking them questions as they started blaming each other, right? Eve made me eat it. 
is what Adam said. And then Eve was like, well, the serpent made me do it. Again, they're finger pointing. And guess what? The blame game is still happening. It's Trump. It's Biden. It's the media. It's corporate America. It's the Illuminati. They control everything. I just know it. It's like, we're just doing this. We're doing this. It's like finger point. It's like there's a, the problem of all evil. It's them. It's, it's, it's again, it's, it's us versus them narratives, you see? And if we aren't finger pointing and blaming about politics, then it's about theology. Oh, the real problem in the church is churches that don't do fill in the blank. They're not doing 90 minutes of altar ministry and prophecy. Oh, they're not doing expository messages. Oh, it's because they believe in women preachers. Oh, it's because they have this format. It's because they like big. No, it's because they like small. It's like these debates. In fact, there's entire ministries that, that imagine their ministry is to point the finger. Entire ministries, who the entire podcast is obsessing about other people's sin. I don't know about all y'all. I got enough sins to deal with right here. I don't know how people have time to focus on everybody else's sin. I mean, think about it. There's entire ministries that are designed in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There are entire Christian books that are written in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we've all felt it when we read them. You see, let me ask you a simple question. Have you ever won someone over by pointing the finger at them? Wow, I feel so good, I wanna follow you. Okay, well, let me put it in reverse. Have you ever been won over by pointing, with someone pointing the finger at you? I can promise you one thing, it never worked in my marriage. And why? Well, it's kind of hard to rescue people from Satan when you treat them as though they are Satan. Some of you are like, what? I know, I know. It's so simple. And yet, if we could just get Christians to understand that one principle, it's hard to rescue people from Satan when you treat them like Satan. If we could just stop and say la on that one, right? Reflect on that one, it could actually change everything for you. That's why the great reformer, John Knox, said, you can't antagonize and influence at the same time. At some point or another, antagonize means kind of goad and, 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 and critique and, and just nitpick at people. You can't antagonize and influence at the same time. You're either doing one or the other. At some point, and think about it, okay? One of the devil's names is the accuser of the brethren the accuser of the brethren. Why is that his name? Because that's who he is, that's what he does. He accuses, he accuses. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You're guilty, you fall short, you're this, you're that. He lies, right? Finger pointing doesn't merely reveal that you and I are living in the wrong tree, but it actually reveals which God we're serving, the almighty God or the accuser of the brethren. You see, we mirror the God we're actually modeling. And a lot of us don't even realize that we've actually been modeling the accuser thinking it's God because we've been living in the wrong tree. And that's why the Apostle Paul was constantly trying to, to arrest people, the Christians, to the, the good news, the tree of life, by saying, oh, oh, listen, if you think people are the enemy, you're missing it, okay? For, like, sorry, fast forward. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not people. People are not our enemy. 
The devil's our enemy, okay? It's the, it's the rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, principalities and powers. It's, it's, it's demons, it's angelic warfare that we're actually engaging in. The, the enemy are not people. That's actually the goal, is to rescue people from the enemy. Oh, but, but a lot of Christians, no, 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 no. You're the enemy. That, that church is the enemy. That pastor, that preacher, that politician. It's a person. It's always a person. An institution led by that person. You see, but here's the problem. If we get this wrong, if we get the enemy wrong, guess what? We're gonna get the wrong mission too because the correct mission always flows from having the correct enemy, right? So for example, if people are the problem, the answer will always be politics and finger pointing. If principalities is the problem, then the answer is gonna be prayer and servanthood. It's gonna be other things, different tools. The weapons of our warfare are not gonna be carnal. That's why Jesus said, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You live by carnal politics, you're gonna die by carnal politics. You're gonna fall down the rabbit hole and miss the entire kingdom, miss the Great Commission. All the things that God wants you to actually be focusing on are gonna be sucked up, not with God ideas, but with good ideas. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, I, I, and here's the deal. I'm not trying to say don't be, don't be a, a politically active, okay? Because I actually believe Christians should be politically active, okay? And there are sometimes extreme acts of evil that need critique. But there's a huge difference between critiquing with the aim of converting versus critiquing with the aim of crushing. Do you see the difference? I think if people understood the difference, we would have a, a, the actual correct enemy, we would, we would talk different, we would think different, we would influence differently. All of a sudden, we'd be able to be like Jesus who would actually have in his inner circle a right-wing zealot who wants to overthrow the government and then a left-wing tax collector. He was able to actually bring them together, cause them to have a greater commission and actually able to win people over on all sides. Why? Because he understood what his mission was. He understood the correct tree. But, but a lot of people were like, the Pharisees were like, how can you even do that? You, you need to point out evil, good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus, don't you understand? And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. You see, I think all of us need to ground ourselves in a greater, in a greater truth, and especially in today's culture that is obsessed with this kind of stuff. It, we have to ground ourselves in a greater truth, and here's what it is. God looks at all of us and says, all y'all are sinners. All y'all fall short of my glory, even those of you who think you're so special, okay? That's why I had to send my son to die for all of you, because all of you fall short, present tense, of the glory of God. Romans says, you see, and ultimately, that's why his son had to die, and that's why Jesus, uh, or God says in Isaiah 58, away with your what? Malicious talk and the pointing fingers. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night like the noonday sun. Whoa, he actually conditions healing upon putting the guns away. You know, man, that verse, that verse would immediately shut down half of all Christian podcasts right here. Think about it. That would literally change half of the books that are written right now. That would, I mean, like, that would fundamentally reorient the way Christians 
are attempting to influence the world. Getting rid of this and getting rid of this, all of a sudden, then, then your light will rise in the darkness in your night like the noonday sun. I wonder how many of us are lacking justice because we've gotten perverted in the pursuit of it. I wonder how many of us are lacking the very goal, godliness, because we've attempted to attain it through the wrong path, through the wrong tree. Besides, I don't know about you, I don't have time to point the finger, because again, I got too many issues of my own, and even, even if I was dealing with my own issues, the Great Commission is too big for me to focus on other commissions. There's a lot of commissions, right? But there's, a, there's only one Great Commission, go into all the world to make disciples of all nations. I think there's a lot of minor commissions that Christians get hijacked with. Let me just uh, frame it up for you how big our task is. Did you know that right now, I think according to the Pew Research, there's five billion unchurched people on planet Earth right now, five billion um, non-Christians on planet Earth, and there's even, even Christians, there's probably more like six billion unchurched, okay? So let's just stick with five billion non-Christians, okay? Now, I realize that number is kind of a big number. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Just to make it more real, uh, let, me, let, me, let me spell out five billion for you like this, okay? If you took all those five billion non-Christians and lined them up on a highway, heel to toe, let's say it would take a while to get all of them organized, right? But just heel to toe, like right here, okay? And then it, awkwardly close, get your toes up to the heel, okay? you know, non-Christian two, non-Christian number three, non-Christian number four, non-Christian number five. Line them up, five billion. Now imagine you drove your car down that line to the end of that line at 60 miles an hour. Do you know how long it would take you to get to the end of that line? 660 days with no stops at 60 miles an hour. 660 days with no stops at 60 miles an hour, that is, that, that's, that's, again, no bathroom breaks. Some of you are like, that's a very torturous long trip, okay? Yeah, okay, if you took bathroom breaks, it would automatically be a two-year road trip. Five billion people is a lot of people. And yet the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner repenting versus 99 righteous shining at the top of their lungs or even dumber, 99 righteous people getting their favorite politician in office, okay? Just to frame it up. Now, I realize five billion is a lot of unchurched people, and we're, we're only talking about salvation. We're talking about sal- eternal salvation. There's other issues that we could talk about. We could talk about the fact that five billion humans on fa- planet Earth also live in substandard housing. Did you know that? I don't think, uh, I, I know a lot of people don't travel outside of the United States a lot to realize just how unique our country really is. But if you travel outside the United States, I mean, five billion people live in substandard housing. That means housing where they're not protected from the elements, housing that is not safe. Five billion people live in substandard housing. Did you know that one billion, 200 million people live on less than 23 cents a day. That's their whole day wage is 23 cents, okay? So add up a, a week, they, they work a very long week for a buck or two, okay? 
Okay, that's 1 billion 200 million. Now, if we raise that between $1 and $2, then you'd have another billion people work full time for $1 to $2. Then you add another billion people that still work full time for less than six, $10 a week, six to 10. I mean, you, you think about it. There's not a person in the United States that couldn't easily be in the top 4% of the world's wealthiest humans who have ever walked the place of planet earth. And yet we still, we have access to more money and more privilege than any human in history. And yet we still find a million reasons to whine about it and point the finger as if it's all destruction. Our lives are so miserable. Have you heard the news? Okay, I, I want you to just, I, I need you to be able to step outside of that reality. Because you know what that is? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the blame game, and it's still afflicting us. It's still causing us to obsess over all these crazy things and not even accept the reality that, oh yeah, I'm naked. I need to focus on my issues, right? You see, it's a, it's a tree problem that's not gonna magically change when one party wins the White House. Because even if one party wins it, guess what? Another one's gonna screw it up. Did you know that? There's only one kingdom that will last forever. In fact, actually, there's only one kingdom that's ordained to last forever. And I, that doesn't mean that we should hasten the, you know, the end of our country, right? But I'm saying, you know, I, it, but I, I'm just simply, I'm, I'm reframing the issue for you so that you'd understand the great commission that a lot of us have abandoned. It ain't gonna change by you explaining to all of your relatives at the upcoming holiday about good and evil. No, you don't understand. Good and evil, good and evil, good. Good, 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 good. Just come to me and then I'll tell you good from all the podcasts I'm listening to. <laughs> and then we wonder why people are like, I don't know if I need Christianity. You don't seem happier. You actually seem more fearful and more scared, and more weird, and more this, and more that. You see, really what they need, they don't need a knowledge tree, they need a tree of life. They need someone who's opposite of the spirit of the world, who's like, actually, you know what, yeah, be generous in times of inflation. What? Like, you know what I'm saying? The opposite spirit, that's what's actually gonna be counterintuitive. You know, as one last example, and I'll end with this, I, I, I love reading books on heaven, because, you know, the Bible says, set your mind on things above. And the reason why it's so important to do that is it reframes my current problems a little bit. It causes me to, to realize what, what molehills I've made into mountains. And I think all of us have the temptation of doing that from time to time. And, and so I love reading books on heaven because they just kind of reframe my perspective. And so I, I literally have hundreds of them. And and uh, I'm actually, I'm gonna do another sermon series on heaven because I'm getting so many cool revelations that I think are just gonna encourage you so much. But recently I, I, I read a book called My Glimpse of Eternity by Betty Malls. And uh, it's actually a, a kind of a, it's an old book, actually. It's a classic old book about a young Christian in the late 1950s who died and had a crazy encounter in heaven and then against all odds, she came back to life, freaked out the doctors. It's really great. It's, it's it, literally the doctors declared her dead. She had no pulse, she had no breathing, nothing. And all of her organs had shut down. They, just, they knew that it wasn't gonna change because she had been there for two months already. And so they detached her from all life support. They pulled the blanket up over her face and uh, they let her dead body lay there until the family could make it 
And, uh, and so they had called the family and the family lived quite a distance away, uh, an hour or two from the hospital. And so they were leaving the body there um, in the meantime. And so the book is really all about what happened in the hour that uh, she was dead. And of course she had a glimpse of eternity. In her, in her encounter with heaven, I think what made it really compelling is that she shares her testimony and what made it interesting is she basically describes herself as a tree of knowledge of good and evil Christian. She was a Christian who attended church every week, but she was cynical. She spent most of her life and most of her time critiquing other churches, how they did church, critiquing other people, political. She, she admitted she was prejudiced. And uh, she particularly, it really irked her when Christians would go to those contemporary churches because, you know, she was a hymn girl and she, she was actually an organist. And so she just, she hated, you know, contemporary churches that did contemporary worship. She thought it was not only weird, but, you know, so she, she was just constantly critiquing other Christians. And, and so, of course, in the book, it, she spends a lot of time sharing her testimony, how she was before this encounter. And then, and, then, and then she spends a lot of time explaining how this brief little moment in heaven radically altered her perspective. And so it's just fascinating. In some ways, it's kind of a great book on the tree of life versus it's kind of a great book to illustrate the, the, the exchange. But without getting lost in the details, there was this moment where uh, she was just about to permanently walk through a gate in heaven when she heard her father's voice in the midst of all this, she all of a sudden, she heard her dad shout the name Jesus three times. And she's like, oh yeah, that's right, my life. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was on earth before this. Oh yeah, that's right, my dad is there and he doesn't know what's happening to me. And, and she heard her father's voice cry out Jesus three times and she knew she was supposed to go back. And just like her dad. So what, what was crazy is, is uh, her dad, that's actually what happened is her dad showed up and saw her, saw that she was dead. He didn't, he was coming just to visit her. He didn't know she was dead, uh, you know, because this is pre-cell phone and he was traveling the entire time uh, while she had died. And so he showed up, seized the blanket over her head. All the nurses were wheeling all the equipment out of her room and saying, I'm so sorry. And he walks up and he was just overwhelmed and he, he just cried out the name Jesus three times just shouted it out loud, Jesus, three times. Well, of course, she's in heaven about to enter into this gate of glory and she all of a sudden hears her dad. She, she turns around and thought, I need to go back to my dad. And so she starts walking down this hill and she, all of a sudden this portal opened and she could see the city that she was from a city in Ohio. She could see that city from the sky. And she, she just started flying through this portal, almost like she was hang gliding back into her city, going back to the hospital. She literally goes right through the roof of the hospital. And it was, but, but what was interesting is that she's kind of hang gliding back over the city. She, she could not help but to be overwhelmed with what she saw because she suddenly saw the earth through a totally different lens, through a totally different perspective. And rather than seeing through a tree of knowledge of good and evil perspective, she saw everything through a heavenly perspective, the tree of life, which of course the tree of life lines the main street of, of heaven. It lines the river. The Bible says in Revelation 22, verse two, it actually says the tree of life is actually what heals 
the nations, right? So she's got this eternal perspective. She's got this heavenly perspective. And, and so when she was flying back over the city, coming back into her body, it was sunrise. And the sun was just gleaming over all of these steeples. And she goes, wow, I've never noticed those steeples before. And she noticed the steeple of the Catholic church and then the steeple over the Baptist church and over the Presbyterian church. And she was just, she wasn't, she, she was overwhelmed with God's love for all the churches. Oh, the Catholics. She wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, the Catholics. I can't believe they have all this like weird tradition and doctrine. She wasn't like, oh, the Calvinist Presbyterians. They don't believe in women preachers. She, she literally was just like, oh, God loves them. Oh, and God loves them. And oh, God loves them. And God loves them. And she suddenly like, as she was flying back, she's like, how did I have so many weird opinions against all of these Christians? They're God's people. He loves them. He loves them. She started realizing how dumb and how catty all of her opinions were. And then as she continued to fly over the city, she saw all sorts of people throughout the city, walking amidst the city there. She saw people that were politically different, ethnically different. All of a sudden, right before she flew into the hospital, she saw an African-American man and she was just like, she was overwhelmed by how much God loved him and how beautiful he was. And, and then all of a sudden she, you know, again, for a woman in the late 50s, she, she suddenly realized how all of her dumb prejudices, what in the world was I thinking? demonizing people. People aren't the enemy. God loves people. He loves all of them. And she started realizing how much politics had just infiltrated into her faith and how much prejudice and worldview and yuck and grossness and self-righteousness and arrogance and just somehow integrated them into the very sinews of her, of her Christianity, not realizing none of it was heaven, none of it was eternal. And I, I share all of this church because I just wonder, I wonder how many of us are like the woman in this book where we're good people. We may go to church. We have a lot of knowledge of God's word, but somewhere along the way, our faith got hijacked by good instead of God. We started seeing people as the enemy. We started thinking fear is okay. Actually, fear is the tool we use to influence people. How weird is that? Here's the deal, church. We will never pick our battles here well on earth. We're never gonna pick our battles well until we see things through the eyes of heaven, through the tree of life. And I say this because especially in this coming season, a season of evangelism, around our friends, around our families, around our coworkers, let's be extra vigilant about being rooted in the right tree and how? Three simple things, worship, surrender, servanthood. Three verbs you can never go wrong with. Worship, surrender, servanthood. Let's just be the living demonstration of the miracles, the generosity, the love, the life of God, the grace, the peace, the joy, the kindness. Let's be the living demonstration of that. So could we just do business with God right here? Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would be a friction upon our sin nature so that we, your people, could truly focus on the commission that you've designed us to focus on. I pray 
that during this brief little short mission trip we have here on earth, that we would not all of a sudden pick up lesser commissions, but Lord, that we would focus on the right enemy and the right mission so that we can experience true, true revival forever and ever in heaven. And Lord, if there are people here who are new to this whole God thing or just wanna press the reset button, let's do that right here and now. Just pray this after me, church. Say this, say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Sense Church. All right, with all that said, come on up here. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving, and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to check in next week for a new message. 